Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Using the title, I Saw the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips, and for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then said I, Here am I, send me. Let's pray. Father, we've been touched this evening by your spirit. We know you're in our midst because of your promise that you would be with us where we're gathered together, but even more than that, we we can sense your presence where we feel you here. And as the old prophet was able to say that he saw you, may we, through our spiritual eyes, be able to do likewise tonight. This we pray through Christ our Redeemer. Amen. No, there's another passage of Scripture that sounds almost the same, and you find it over in the book of Revelation. You turn over there with me. The very first chapter. I think you'll see some very similar words written by Two different writers, many hundreds of years apart. John, the beloved disciple, writing the book of Revelation, and uh, Isaiah writing there from what we read in the Old Testament. In the first chapter at the tenth verse, John talking, he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, 
what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Well, let's go on. Let's go on. And I turned to see the voice that spake unto me. Then turned I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Feet like unto fine brass, as if they were burned in the furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, uh, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Now, see some parallels? Both people got a vision of heaven. And they got it because of their relationship to God as Isaiah in the Old Testament, or to John with the Lord in, here in the New Testament. John said, I was in the Spirit. Isaiah doesn't exactly say that, but he certainly infers that he was in a frame of mind and heart that allowed him to perceive things that nobody had ever seen before. He was in the Spirit. And in the Spirit, God gave him a glimpse of something that he had never experienced. He was able to see the throne of God and even God sitting upon it and the surrounding circumstances of that tremendous throne room. And John says something very similar, that he was in the Spirit and he saw the Lord. I lifted up. Just similar in all of its aspects to what Isaiah said when he saw the Lord sitting on a throne. I am lifted up. If we're going to get any kind of a revelation from God, if we're going to have him divulge to us truth that we've never comprehended before, or have a message that can be given to somebody else of depth, uh, of an explanation as to what God is like, what the future is going to be.
we're going to have to do something different than mostly we do in keeping ourselves and our minds occupied with the physical things of this world. Even when we come to church, I would dare say that most of us, if not all of us, tonight and this morning, were preoccupied with other things besides what was going on in the service. This morning, some of you ladies already had your meal in the oven or on the stove, and you were beginning to worry about whether it was going to burn. Anybody confess to that? Nobody confesses to that. Well, all right. Nobody. Nobody put a meal on today, so you fed cold cuts, I guess, too. We were thinking about what we were going to do this afternoon. About rushing home to turn on the TV to think about, to, to see what was going on in the war. To get ready for a ball game. To plan our afternoon activities. My mind was already running as to where I was going to visit today. And on and on we go with those things that are preoccupying our mind. Now, if we're going to get close to God and have Him speak to us and reveal something to us, it's going to be in those times when we've gotten ourselves away from the things of the world and not being worried about what we're going to do and what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear and all those things. We're going to be like John in the spirit and in that frame then of mind and heart God is going to be able to talk to us through the spirit that is within us. I don't think that we're going to hear God speak out loud, but I think we're going to understand that he is revealing some things to us as we in the spirit, the Holy Spirit and our spirit commune with each other, we suddenly realize that there's a message coming through. That message comes from God. Isaiah was shocked, I think. He must have been very well uh, in the spirit, thinking about spiritual things, praying, and it uh, sorted out everything. He said it was in the year that King Uzziah died. That was about, according to some people, about 742 B.C. That maybe is of no consequence to us, but he identifies the fact that this was an event that took place. He's not speaking in, uh, uh, in parable. He is saying that this was an event that took place in my life. That year, the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. The Lord gave him a glimpse. What did he see? He saw the Lord sitting on a throne. And it says that his train filled the temple. If you were reading out of the Living Bible, you would find the word glory there instead of train. Uh, some translations will use skirts. His skirts filled the temple. His train filled the temple. I think the point that we need to see is that God was the, uh, was the center, the focal point. And everything radiated out from him until his clothing, if you can think of those terms, like the, the train of a wedding dress, 
had completely surrounded and filled the entire temple. It was something that was his glory. Then he saw something else. He saw some seraphims. This is the only place in the Bible that the word seraphim is used two times here in this chapter. They apparently are angelic beings that are there for the purpose of doing the biddings of God. Nobody can educate anyone very well on them and what they look like, but we can get a picture of them here. We find out that they had three pairs of wings, six wings. Two of them they used to cover their face. Two of them they used to cover their feet. And two of them they used to fly. They were located above the throne. Above the throne. Here they are. Some have suggested that the wings that they used to cover their face is a symbol of humility. And I think that certainly could be true. That in no way were they to take away from the glory of God. They were hidden. The idea that John said when he pointed to Jesus said he must increase, I must decrease. The concept that we must have in that we should never get ourselves in the spotlight and detract from God in any way. And whenever you find a person or a church that thinks it is so important and valuable that the spotlight must be upon them, and that caused part of the cause of the downfall of some of our TV preachers, you're finding a person that has not had a very good glimpse at the throne of God. Or that person or that church would see that even the angels assigned to God and stand above him are so humble that they refuse to detract from any attention to God and even cover their face so that nobody can even see them. Secondly, they cover their feet. And some have indicated that this is a, a reference to uh, reverence or uh, humility. That they would not be seen in the presence of God and in the Orient, the covering of the feet, I understand, is important in uh, some of their worship services that the feet not be be uncovered. But the other two with, with wings they flew indicating that they were ready to do God's service in complete obedience to him. Whatever God said they did without question. Isaiah saw this and recognized that there were 
angelic beings in heaven standing around the throne waiting to be bidden to do something by God and would do it without question. Should not we gather an obligation on our part to do the same? Ours is not to question why. Ours is but to do or die. Somebody coined that phrase somewhere along the line. I don't know where. But in relationship to the Christian and God, that's exactly right. Too many people want to know why. Fred indicated that he asked the questions why. I've asked the question why. All of us have wanted to know why. It is not our responsibility to understand God's will. Our responsibility is to be ready and prepared to do his bidding without the question entering our mind. Just do it. That's obedience to God. And that's what Isaiah saw when he looked into heaven itself. Jesus, in his prayer, gave us the words, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the model that we're to follow. God's will is done without question in heaven. But what do we do? Whenever we pray, we have a tendency to say, now, Lord, you explain all this to me as to why it's happening, and then I'll do it. No, we wouldn't if we had the full explanation. Now, these angels, ever how many there are of them, these seraphims, have something to say. They cried. And what they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is holy. There are three things I think I can I think we need to note there. Number one, the word holy was repeated three times. And I believe this was done purposely to point out that it was a Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. All the way through the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, we have the Trinity that comes forth. But look further what he said. The whole earth is full of thee. In the young adult class this morning, as I tried to go by the door and get up the stairs, I got caught and they asked me to come over a minute on the question of, uh, well, several things, but one of them is the question of salvation to people who haven't heard the word, who actually have not read the Bible, nor nobody's ever preached to them as to their salvation. I don't know as I can really answer that question, but there is one thing that I certainly can say on the basis on the scripture, and right here is one of the verses that do it. We don't have to look into heaven to know that there's a God because the scripture says the whole earth is full of his glory. Can anybody look at a newborn, whether it is a baby or an animal, and not have to admit there's got to be a God brought it about? 
I have a book in my library written by Dr. Paul Brand, medical missionary, called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. It's one of the most dynamic books that I think I've ever come across, and he uses so many parallels between the makeup of the human body and our relationship to God to point out the, the detail that God has used in making the body that doctors have studied it uh, ever since nearly the beginning of time to try to figure out how the body works and they're still learning new things about it all the time. The whole earth is full of the glory of God. Can anybody even look at a sunset or a rainbow and not have to admit there's got to be a God behind it? Now, verse 4 talks about the fact that even the doors moved. There, there was a shaking, but verse 4 says something else, that the house was filled with smoke. Why would that be? You know, even Isaiah, in a vision, and that's what he was having, could not tolerate the complete brilliance of God. He had to, God had to be in the shadows. Covered up a little bit. Just see where he is, but not see him in the fullness of his glory. You remember when God was going to come down to the mountaintop and talk to Moses. And God said, you can't look upon me. Put yourself in that crack in the rock and do not look and I will pass by and when I pass by then you may look at my backside but you can't see me in the front and the scripture tells us that even as Moses hid in the cleft of the rock from which we get that hymn that God put his hand over the cleft of the rock as he passed by to further shade Moses from the brilliance of God's glory. And then, even after that, when Moses came down from the mountain, he was aglow, his face shone, and they took note that he had been in the presence of God. He got a glimpse. I wonder how many of us, the general public, can look at and say, that person has seen God. Even if it's nothing more than a vision. The smoke was designed and used to hide the brilliance of God, I think. Paul said to the Corinthians in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, verse 12, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now we can't tolerate the complete glory of God. It has to, his glory has to be shattered in some way. We can see the image of him, but not the true God, just his image. They will come and we'll see him all. Well, let's move on. The thing that happened to Isaiah 
when he saw this is important. What did he do but cry out, Woe is me! I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. When a person gets the right glimpse of God, he sees himself for what he is. Until a person sees something of God, he will not understand his true condition. And that's why most of us in this old world have difficulty doing what we ought to do for God because we have never seen him, therefore we don't comprehend our condition. <clears throat> as clearly as we ought to. The Living Bible translates that woe is me this way. My doom is sealed. Isaiah saw himself being so miserable a sinner that he thought, I've seen God and God's going to strike me down. My doom is sealed. I'm a goner. I'm done for. Over in the 64th chapter of Isaiah, in the 6th verse, Isaiah describes righteousness, his righteousness, as nothing more than filthy rags. That's the way he saw himself. I don't know if any of you have ever had an occasion to go to a very formal gathering of some sort where everybody is dressed to the hilt and you didn't know that that was the way you were supposed to dress, and you showed up in jeans. Now talk about humiliation. Wanting to crawl under the table. Get out of that place. Go somewhere. Get away. Can't stay there. You have beginning to get a little of the picture that Isaiah was talking about when he began to see himself in the eyes of God. He was miserable. This is the way he was. Now what did he say about himself? He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. My language is not acceptable to God. Isn't it strange that Isaiah, looking into the throne room, would recognize his language was off? And people today blaspheme the name of God like it was a thing we were supposed to do. The four letter words that we hear on television and spoken by people on the streets. I cannot get from my automobile to my office on any given day of the week without hearing several expletives. 
because it's the common language of the day. And I have had people say things in my presence that were uh, derogatory to God and using his name in vain and turn to me and say, excuse my French. I've never said it yet, but I have the words formulated. One day I'm going to say, that's not French you're speaking. That's black speaking. I worked in a service station when I went through seminary. And the owner of that station was not a Christian, and he didn't think anything about using the Lord's name in vain. And on one occasion, he said to me when he had let out one of those oaths, Oh, excuse me, Jim, I forgot you were a preacher. And I did respond to him, and I said, That wasn't my name you were using. I think I got my point across. Apologies were not due me. Apologies were due God. And when a person looks into the throne room of God, he's going to find himself in need of apologizing to God for his language. Not just the bad, foul things that we say, but the fact that our language is not good enough to describe what God is in our lives, and we fall so far short of that. I think we can make this assumption that his statement, woe is me, I am undone, was an act of repentance. Because the next thing that happens is one of those seraphims comes from behind that altar, goes uh, the throne, goes over to the altar, and takes a pair of tongs and gets a coal off the altar and comes over and puts it right on Isaiah's lips. Talk about smarting. Laid upon my mouth, Isaiah said, and then the angel spoke. Lo, this has touched thy lips, thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. There's a need for purging of sin in our lives. And God will do it. And sometimes it's done by the burning process. It feels that bad. Sometimes he has to take us and really shake us to our very foundation before we will listen to what he has to say. And sometimes to cure the ailment, he has to sear us as with fire. You may remember Luke chapter 5. The story of some men who had a friend that was an invalid, and they wanted to bring him into the presence of Jesus to ask him to heal them, heal the man. And they got to the house. Jesus was inside the house, and there was such a crowd they couldn't get through, and nobody would let them through. So they devised a method. They went up on the roof. They took off the tile of the roof as they had tiles over there, and they made a hole, and they put some ropes, and they let the bed and all right down through the roof into the presence of the Lord. But it's strange what the Lord said. 
He didn't say your body is healed. He said your sins are forgiven. And then the man got up and tied up his bed and walked out. It was done because somebody had seen an image of God a little bit and knew that there was power in that man in that house that had to come from God. The two men were on the street corner praying. One was a sinner. He knew it. One was a Pharisee. He knew it too. The Pharisee was so proud of himself what a mighty fine person he was, why he tithed everything, he fasted, he went to church, he prayed, he did all the things that was expected and thought God ought to be proud of him. And as he prayed, he looked over at that sinner there, that old tax collector, and he said, God, I thank you, I'm not like he is. That Sinning tax collector over there in the corner didn't get out in public but found himself a private place and very humbly and, and I can believe with tears he began to pray, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He had the vision of heaven and not the, not the publican or the Pharisee. Sometimes people less religious than we have a better image of the throne of God than the people inside the church. We need to have a vision of the church, or of, of heaven, and of God's throne. The church needs that vision. Now lastly, and I'll close. All of this has taken place. Isaiah has seen the throne. He's seen the person on the throne in a shadow uh, in the smoke. He has seen the seraphims behind the throne. He knows what they can do. And he recognizes his relationship to God and cries out for mercy. And one of those seraphims comes and, and says that his iniquity has been taken away. Then comes something of dynamic importance. In verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? All that, that statement has made over and over and over again. The trouble is most people never hear it. Never hear the question. Isaiah heard the question because he was in the spirit. And he'd had that experience. And he suddenly heard God say, is there somebody that we can send? And that question took root in Isaiah's heart. And he began to realize, well, Lord, you can send me. I'll go. He volunteered. He wasn't drafted. That's what the Lord wants. People who have seen the throne, 
and their relationship to the God on the throne, that will be done only when a person is in a spiritual frame of mind and heart, and when one has gotten to that point, when God asks for a volunteer, he'll get plenty of them. And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And God immediately, we'll close, said, go, tell the people. And he gives them the message. I saw the Lord, said Isaiah, and so said John. Their sins were forgiven and they were made an instrument in the hand of God to bring the world to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.